Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day. Thank you for the beautiful sunshine which is shining outside, Lord. Thank you for the way that that sun warms us, Lord, deep into us. We pray now that you would warm us deep inside as well. That you would shine your light down into the deep, dark places inside of us, Lord. That you would open those tombs there and those hidden rooms. And that you would, in your light, Lord God, cast out the brokenness, the sin, the guilt, Lord, that we have been holding on to. And that you would give us this opportunity now, Lord, to sit before your word. Speak to us, Lord. Reveal yourself powerfully. Lord, give me your words to preach. Lord, and give us all your words to proclaim your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is great to see you all today. Well, it's hard to believe today with the sun out shining and so beautiful, but on Wednesday I was up skiing at Sugar Bowl and it was snowing and freezing cold. Freezing cold. The wind was blowing. It was cloudy and kind of foggy. The light was flat. And it was snowing. I was like, I just couldn't believe it. And it had been snowing, and so there was fresh snow everywhere, so had to go, of course. And so me and a friend, we were skiing, and we skied off one of the main runs off into this kind of open area, and we wanted to find fresh powder, right? Because there's nothing like making turns in fresh, untracked powder. So we skied off that run, and then we started hiking up this neighboring peak. Clunk, 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 clunk. Not very far. I make it sound like big, but it wasn't big at all. It felt like it because my lungs were burning. But there we go. We hike up there, and as we're hiking, that cloud cover lifts. The clouds blow away, and the sun starts shining in full radiance. And the, we got to the top of this snowfield that we were going to ski down, and it was the most gloriously beautiful thing. Because the snow had just this perfect crystalline structure where it looked like a mat of diamonds laid out. I mean, it was just gorgeous. Every surface seemed to be reflecting the light. And then out of that snow, there was these, uh, there were the pine trees came out and the bark was wet and so it made them dark. And then on that dark um, bark was this, it looked like electrified lichen just glowing against it, bright, bright, vivid green. Just this amazing contrast of colors and light and darkness, brilliance. It was gorgeous. We had to just stop and pray and then ski. But I've been up on that slope in the summertime, up on the top of that mountain. And... It's a mix. It's beautiful up there. It's got beautiful views. But, you know, it's a mix of, like, decomposing sedimentary rock and um, lots of, like, dusty, sandy soil and some, like, sparse vegetation and then the trees. It's pretty, but the snow covered everything and made everything just gorgeous. Covered the dirt, the imperfections, the holes, the cracks, the crevices, the rocks. Everything was covered and made smooth and beautiful under that blanket of fresh snow. In our passage from the book of Acts, all the apostles had been arrested by the temple police for doing miraculous things. Right? Like, illegal use of miraculous acts. Right? I don't know what the penalty is that like. I guess it's night in prison. 
But uh, they get arrested for this, and I'll give you some more context, because we just get the end of that kind of account. So, in, uh, the, in the verses leading up to our verses, we have them arrested for that by the, um, by the temple leaders. During the night, though, an angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and brings them out, past all the guards, without the guards noticing, right? Brings them out and says to them, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so what do you think those apostles did who had been brought by that angel and told that? What do you think they went and did? They did what they were told. That's right. I mean, if you get led out of prison by an angel in the middle of the night, would you obey? Right, I hope so, right? Because that's what they do too. They arrive there at the temple at daybreak, which is when the Jews would be coming to offer sacrifices. So it's a perfect convergence of events, right? Nice large audience working there to worship the Lord. And then these apostles speaking these words of truth to them. So the council, they're unaware of all this. They've been sleeping blissfully, blissfully through the night, getting ready to do the trial the next morning. And they wake up and then order for the prisoners to be brought so they, they can stand trial. And when the messengers go and get to the prison, what do they find? No prisoners, right? In fact, though the doors are closed, the angel apparently closed the doors behind them. And so they sit there and they're wondering, wait, there's no apostles in there. But the, the doors are still locked and the guards are there. So what is going on? And the passage says they wondered what this might mean. Yeah, that is a good thing to do. Apparently they didn't wonder quite enough. But, so then they, as they're mulling this over, they get a message that the apostles are teaching at the temple. And so they dispatch a team. This time they send a very, the, um, the smiley team, right, because they don't want to cause a conflict at the temple. Anyone know why? It looked bad on them, right? If they go and arrest those guys who they had already arrested the day before, and... The, guy, the apostles doing miracles and preaching and people's lives are being transformed. Do you think people would be excited about that? Like if somebody just cured you of blindness and then they got arrested, would you be happy about that? No, you'd be like, no way, that's my guy. I want to see the charges on this. Seriously. So um, they send their, uh, their very diplomatic team to the temple courts who then say, would you please come with us apostles, right? And so they bring them back to the council chamber. And once they are all there, safely inside, the high priest says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Well, that must have seemed good, right? I mean, if you're an apostle, you're like, good, the message is getting out. Right? They filled Jerusalem. But he's trying to tell them, in no uncertain terms, to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And these wonders, why they didn't stop. Why didn't they stop? Why didn't they stop teaching when the leaders told them to stop? Sure, yeah, human or... Like, do we listen to the human advice, or do we listen to God? Right, which one do we do? Listen to God, yeah. Also, as the prophet Jeremiah has expressed, the words of God burned in them, because they're the words of life, and they needed to be released. They needed to be spoken and proclaimed out in this world so that others could hear the hope and salvation and life and healing of Jesus Christ. They had both an internal desire and yearning to proclaim the good news and also the mandate from the angel which said, 
Go and preach. Go and preach. They couldn't stop even if they wanted to. And so they say we must obey God rather than any human authority. I'm sure the temple authority was not exactly happy about this statement, right? Because you kind of get backed in a corner. You're like, wait, well, um, we are the authority and speaking for God, I guess. You know, like, what do you say at that point? Right? When somebody drops that, that nuclear thing on, the nuclear option on you. Like, how do you respond to that? And so Peter just continues to go. And he says, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Peter goes right to the heart of it. Jesus Jesus is God. And he was killed by crucifying him, by the leaders of the temple. But God has raised him up to his right hand, so that he can lead Israel to repentance and grant forgiveness of sins. Peter does mention that he was crucified by the leaders, but at the same time, that's not the point, that's not the focus of his statements. The focus is those final lines, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's the purpose. For this reason he came, to seek and to save the lost. And Peter is arguing here that the council and and he, Peter's arguing here that the council and all that do not know Jesus are the lost who Jesus Christ came to save. Then Peter, to mark his authority on this matter, says, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter is articulating that he has witnessed these events. He saw Jesus Christ turned over to be crucified. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Lord. And now he feels within him the power of the Holy Spirit and sees the power of the Spirit manifested in signs and wonders. People are healed and delivered. This is what Peter speaks to them. But there's a deep issue in this account. And it seems to be the reason the leaders want to shut up the apostles. Because the leaders accuse the apostles of being determined to bring this man's blood upon us. What does that expression mean, to bring somebody's blood upon you? That's right, to make them be judged guilty, right? Oh yeah, you got blood on your hands, right? You've got it, I can see it, you are guilty of this thing. You're trying to make us feel guilty for Jesus, but we were totally justified in what we did. It was the Romans anyway, right? They've got all these ways that they're trying to dodge this one. They feel as though the apostles are trying to pin the crime on them. And they're sensitive because they're guilty. Anyone ever felt that before? Oh, come on. Let's be a little honest here. Yes, when we feel guilty, oh my goodness, it's like a splinter that you leave in for a while. You know, everything around it becomes tender. The same thing happens with guilt. We start getting sensitive about all kinds of things. Somebody says something and it's the most innocent thing in the world. We're like, (gasps) 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 me? Right? You know the feeling, right? That is what guilt does to us when it sits there. It festers like that splinter under the skin. And it makes everything sensitive and affected. 
That's how these leaders are. They're swimming in guilt over what they've done. And the presence and the proclamation of the apostles only reminds them of their sin and serves to irritate that wound. They're worried about what would happen to their reputations, their lives, their social standings, their ministries, their tea time, if the blood of this man was on their hands, if the guilt for his death was ascribed to them. What would that mean? How would that change things? Now here's the kicker. The apostles do want to bring the blood of Jesus on these leaders, but not necessarily in the way that the council is afraid of. Right? They're afraid that somehow the apostles are going to like take them to court or something and cause them to be judged for what they've done. The apostles don't want to do that. They're not wanting to go and go after Pilate and say, Pilate, please try these guys. Like, no, they don't want to do that. The apostles do want the blood of Jesus on these people. They want to bring the cleansing and forgiving blood of Jesus on them so that they can be washed clean. Not so that they can stand trial, but so that they can be forgiven. So they can be delivered. So that they can be released from this bondage of sin and death which they are holding themselves in now. Our passage from the book of Acts today is a meeting of guilt and freedom. It is a connection of people trying to hide from their guilt with people who have been freed from it. And this is clearly seen in the two main characters in our passage. Right? We've got Peter and the high priest. Right? How did Peter behave at the trial of Jesus? You guys remember? Denied, yeah, he didn't go, right? Because he denied Jesus three times. Denied him three times before the cock crowed. Right? Peter had abandoned his friend and his Lord on the night of his trial. The one he had sworn that if he had to die, he would do it for Jesus. Right? Nothing will ever hold me back, Jesus. Then he denied him. If anyone should have kept running from Jesus, it would have been him. Yet he, by the grace of God, was brought back to Jesus and forgiven. His guilt was washed away. But the high priest, he's using his position of power and authority to try to bury this whole issue. To try to just grade over it as though it doesn't exist. To try to like squeegee it out or erase it in some way so that that guilt is no longer on him. And to do this, he had to keep resorting to more and more extreme means. Because as that number of Christians grew, as that number of people who proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior increased, so did the testimony about his death and resurrection increase. And so every time that high priest was confronted with that message, it would touch that point of pain in him again. And so he had to get increasingly more dogmatic and hard in his dealings with them. To try to wipe that out. That's the way guilt works. Would he ever be able to completely wipe it out? That high priest? That guilt that with it is within him? No. Not at all. But we certainly do try, don't we? In our lives. We try all kinds of means. 
try money, food, drink, drugs, adventure, relationships. Right? We try to do all kinds of things to cover up that guilt. The problem is, is that no matter how much stuff we put on that guilt, that thorn is still there in our flesh. It still is there, festering under the surface. Where in our lives today do we feel that we are hiding from God because of our guilt? And what guilt are we trying to hide from God? And what is that hiding, what is that concealment doing to our relationship with our Lord and with others? May we allow the blood of Jesus to be on us as well. For the blood of Jesus is like that snow in the mountains. It covers the landscape and transforms it through its beauty. It takes what is rough and makes it smooth. It takes the imperfect and makes it perfect. And it takes broken people like you and me and transforms us through his grace. Today, may we receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we confess to him our sin. May we turn over to him our guilt. And as we are reconciled to our God through the blood of Jesus Christ, may we be reconciled as well to those who we have hurt and who have hurt us as well. May our transformation and being set free lead to transformation of other relationships, that that wave of freedom would not stop at us, but that it would move on, that we would pass it on to others, so that forgiveness can have victory over judgment. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the one who has swallowed our guilt. Lord, you have taken our shame upon yourself. Lord, there is nothing we need to do to earn your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. So Lord, may we seize this opportunity today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal to us our sin. Show us our brokenness, Lord. Show us those areas we have sought to conceal and to bury. And we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for that sin. Lord God, help us to confess to others too. To ask for forgiveness when we have hurt them and in the ways we have hurt them. To seek restitution, Lord seek restoration. We pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to do this, to walk in humility in this world, Lord, and to find our sufficiency, our identity in you alone. Lord God, clothe us in your righteousness. Spread your blood upon us, Lord, like snow upon the mountains. Help us to walk in your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.